0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 19 of Nature's Epion. Uh it's been a week since I've had my latest episode. I hope you enjoyed those past two episodes where we uh interviewed a couple of nature photographers. Very talented, very skilled people. Uh learned lots from them. And I hope you took a you learned a lot from that as well. Uh it's it's been about a week. Uh I was planning on having other episodes in between here and there. But I've been trying to secure better guests to bring on the podcast, more uh, informed, more relevant, like in current news and stuff like that. And, you know, that can be difficult to do sometimes when it comes to scheduling and, and uh, things like that, because, uh, you know, we all live busy lives and uh, we're stuck in the rat race. But uh, so that's also been a part of that and uh, discussing some topics I've been kind of been putting on the back burner because. I'd like to discuss certain topics with certain people where uh, they could elaborate or expand or give their opinions on more. So that's another thing. So this I had to kind of take away uh, a few things I wanted to talk about. But uh, if in the future those people don't come on the podcast, I'm still probably going to take an opportunity to speak at length about some of these uh, other topics I haven't discussed before. So uh, one way or the other, they're going to get covered. And uh, I'm going to try to bring you some nice informative stuff. You know, dumb it down for everyone and say it in lay terms. Try to simplify everything as much as possible. Hopefully make it as easy to understand and enjoyable as possible for you guys. Uh, Yeah, so what just passed recently was Groundhog Day. I think Groundhog Day has uh, low-key become one of my most favorite holidays. It's not... Okay, I know what you're saying. There's Christmas and Halloween, St. Patrick's Day. It's got a lot to contend with and it's not even really like a true holiday, but I like it. I'm beginning to it's beginning to grow on me more, especially when the groundhog decides it's going to be a short winter. Now, I know this is all just a superstition and you know, it's not to be taken seriously, but I feel like there's a lot of potential in Groundhog Day that can be explored. So I guess it's like an old tradition that came from like Europe, certain like, you know, like Germany and stuff like that. They had traditions over there that kind of came over here. I think with the groundhog, I think over there was with a badger. Then it came over to the Americas, like uh, North America. And uh, in Pennsylvania, they started using a groundhog. And then it's been adopted by Canada as well to be sort of like a, ti- like a yearly, an annual tradition to sort of uh, every February 2nd. Have the groundhog come out. If it's frightened by its shadow due to like cloudiness or something, it'll run back in its den instead of coming out and being like, okay, it's cool. We can enjoy another, like it's, what is another four or six weeks of winter if he doesn't get it right, if he turns back around. Well, this year, the groundhog I follow most closely, that's closest to me, is good old Wyerton Willie. And was he good to us? He said... Winter's going to be short this year. We're going to get an early spring. And I enjoy winter sports just as much as anyone. But I also really enjoy the spring. And I enjoy the summer far more. So I don't know if Wyarton Willie's going to be correct. But get your skiing, your snowboarding, your hard water fishing, all those snowmobiling. get, Get all that in while you can. Because it's Groundhog saying it ain't going to last very long. I think... Groundhog Day can be adopted and, you know, expanded upon. We can make it something greater than what it is. I feel like we should begin to affiliate or associate it with maybe like wildlife and conservation, you know, since it's a groundhog holiday, the Groundhog Day. And, you know, maybe we can somehow, you know, tie it into like raising awareness or maybe money for like wildlife and conservation in our local areas. And then it's like a donation incentive. I know people hate giving out money, but I don't know. It's an idea. Um, Like, I feel like we could make it better and we could sort of help differentiate it from the state's version as Canadians. They use a groundhog. I guess Germany uses a badger. And I was reading that Siberia and like Croatia they use a bear, and it's pretty hard to top a bear in terms of like you know awesomeness, but I'm thinking, what if we had like a wolverine? you know let's say we had some sort of you know wildlife refuge or conservation thing, and they happen to have a wolverine because they 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 had to rescue it as a pup because you know its mother was like you know harmed or injured, and it would have died in the wilderness on its own so this wildlife refuge came into having a Wolverine. And now what if, like, I'm pretty sure they don't really hibernate or come out in the spring or something, but uh, screw it. That doesn't matter. We can just adopt the Wolverine, have, like, the Wolverine come out. And I think that would be awesome. You know, in the the comic books, like X-Men and stuff like that, Wolverine, he is Canadian in the comic books. So having, like, a Wolverine be our groundhog, I think that sets us like a bar, like a a few bars ahead of like a groundhog and a badger, um, debatably with bears. Uh, we've all seen videos of badgers holding their own against bears, so I think it gives like you know we get like a friendly competition with Canada's Wolverine versus Serbia's bears and you know the groundhogs and the badgers of Germany and the states. I think it's, a, I don't know. I'd like to see more become of Groundhog Day. I'd like to see it really evolve into something that's more about conservation. Maybe we start, like, raising money to build a, this would be the best thing, I think. We start raising money to build uh, wildlife bridges over highways and to put those fences around the sides of the highways. That way, you know, the deer, all those animals that cross the highway, and the moose, you know, it, it creates a safer environment for people to travel at night on highways that aren't very well lit and it gives these animals a safe way to cross through so they don't become injured or harm it's a win-win we started like you know funding these uh projects it'd, it'd be great uh, i don't know how to get this off the ground it's just an idea i'm just pitballing. it probably will never come off the ground or go anywhere but wouldn't that be a thing if it did so the next so i'm just going to do like a news roundup on some half interesting things Uh, you may not find them interesting, but I'm going to try to make them as interesting as possible. So there was this sort of discovery. Well, okay. It's a sort of discovery. So there was a discovery of super camels, uh, depicted in the art in the temple of Allah's daughter. And in these pictures, it suggests that there was crossbreeding of species from Central Asia and uh, Arabia. And the interesting thing about that is that these are 2,000-year-old depictions, and that means back then, they were crossbreeding camels from very far regions to have better like uh, better uh, beasts of burden. So, this beast, this camel, was associated with royalty back then, and The reason for that is that they were incredibly um, expensive to make or to breed. So these camels produced more milk. They carried four to five hundred kilograms of cargo, which is, I think, roughly double than what most camels can carry. And uh, they were also more resistant to harsher climates. Um, the, The reason they were expensive, though, and difficult to breed was because they're similar to mules. So a mule is a cross between a horse and a donkey. And as some of you may know, when you crossbreed those things, they are the result of a mule and it's born sterile, meaning it cannot have offspring itself. So you could not make two mules, have them breed, and then it would produce another mule. The the, the bloodline kind of stops with them. So same with these like super camels, is you crossbreed them, you get a much stronger beast of burden, like a, like a mule is, like it has the best traits of a horse and the best traits of a donkey, the same thing was applied to these camels so but because they were sterile and i guess the breeding process for these two different species of camel was difficult maybe uh th- like their um the times a year they can breed is it's offset so it's hard to get them to line up maybe like the ins- the ins- like it's hard to incentivize them and stuff like that but anyway so yeah these camels were like royal camels they were very um effective at what they did in all regards so it's just kind of cool to see um that humans have kind of been meddling in nature for a long time and i guess that kind of gives it like the existence of modern dogs right like we were domesticating wolves and all that kind of stuff and i find camels particularly interesting they seem kind of like a dorky animal you know they're kind of silly they like they spit they got, like, a big hump on them. But a lot of people don't realize is that the camel actually originated. Like, its evolution was in uh, the Americas, in, like, North America. Sorry. And then, um over time, so it, it originally evolved here. And then it spread out throughout the rest, rest of the world. Since then, it's gone extinct here. But it's still alive in other parts of the world. So a lot of people... Don't realize that there was an American camel, like in the Pleistocene era, but it's no longer here. And that there's been like a few stories of like, they're, they're extremely durable, successful animals. They can withstand cold and hot climates, depending on the breed. Like they can grow very thick hair. Uh, they, they can eat a lot of different things. Which I didn't notice about camels is they basically have like giant fangs. They have almost like their teeth are like almost like tusks. They're, they're pretty intimidating looking and they're very good at like fending themselves off against predators. They Similar to like how like a moose could, you know, where it just throws out those big strong leg kicks and just stomps and tramples. And because they have sort of like these long thick manes protecting their vital areas, like the bites and the stuff from predators, they aren't really able to get to like those vital areas. So they're very successful. Like, these uh, they're called. I think they're called caravans. Is like the group of them. It's like a caravan of moo or uh, camels. Yeah, they they could be really good at sustaining themselves. Uh, I think there's like stories from like the end of World War Two or maybe the beginning of World War Two, where the American military was using camels, sort of like beasts of burden, like horses, stuff like that. And a few of them ended up getting loose, or they were just kind of like forgotten about in the States and then they were basically running around wild in certain areas and stuff like that. Eventually I think they were all hunted and, you know, killed off. But if they had been left alone, they probably would have formed like very successful, uh, herds and stuff in the United States. So it's interesting to know, like these are very, um, they're an underrated animal. They don't get enough of like interest and kind of like, like the, like, I don't know, like, like people are far more interested in like whales, elephants, and like tigers because they're just captivating. They're charismatic megafauna, and camels are just thought of as being like meh. It's a crappy horse. Like I don't really care about it. But there's a lot of real interesting things about camels that get overlooked or not really looked at. Um, but one thing I've seen uh, going on recently. Sorry, I need to take a drink. Ah. One thing I've seen going on recently is discussion of rewilding and what rewilding is if you're not too familiar with it's the introduction of formerly extinct species or similar extinct species in an area to help you know bring back the natural ecology of a certain area and one of the topics being brought up is like bringing back the woolly mammoth or an arctic elephant and there's a startup company called Colossal that's really taken a look at this. And when I first saw this, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, I was thought, why not bring back another Pleistocene-era animal that would probably be much easier to do? You could use the d- genetic material and the DNA found within the fossils from the, the Yukon that have thought out. And you can use the DNA of existing camels from around the globe and try to bring back something that's similar to the uh, America, the uh, the, f- the extinct American camel, and the benefit to that would be, since since there's been a huge decline in uh, animals that eat a lot of vegetation in the Americas, uh, but like uh, the the buffalo, for example, or is it bison? Uh, they they were killed and hunted off. There were you know large populations of elk have gone extinct, reindeer in certain areas a lot of these places have no more of those animals and these grazers that have massively large packs were probably responsible for eating some of the, the dried up kindling that attributes to these like forest fires. And we've been seeing an increase in forest fires. Um, you know, the reason why it can be disputed and this and that, and it's kind of like a topic of discussion and uh, controversies and this and that and debate, but, at the end of the day, you just gotta look at the data and it says, since like the large, like foraging animals or sorry, uh, grazing animals have gone extinct, there's been an increase in those. So part of the solution to help reining in forest fires from being you know, much more prevalent would be to bring back some of these extinct species that used to feed on this kind of stuff and increasing their numbers to make it, um, sorry, less likely to happen. So for me, I think, oh, that's really, it would be really cool to bring back these species. It's sort of like this, it's this idea that a lot, it's like romanticized kind of like we get very captivated as humans when we think of bringing back something from the dead that was like once forgotten, never to come back. And I think, I don't know, the public could probably get behind it. Now, would it have severe ecological impacts on already existing plant species or animals I don't know I'm not the, the I'm not the professional in this field and obviously that would be a that's a that's part of the uh, debate right now it's like just because we can or does it mean we should and you know does it get better or does it get worse another big extinction that might be part of the contribution to forest fires being on the increased might be the extinction of the rocky mountain locusts so back in like the 1800s, there used to be swarms of these things that would be so big, they'd be about the size of the state of California. And they, w- they were massive. And they would just come through and they would just eat all the crops. They'd eat tons of like, they'd eat like all the hair off the animals. They It, it was an imposing force. Like it was like seeing a massive dust storm, but it was all just bugs, these locusts. They're like basically grasshoppers. So we were able, as people... We were incentivized back then to get rid of them as much as possible because they were having very detrimental effects on people, agriculture, our ability to feed people. And so what they did is they found out they like to lay their eggs around riversides and stuff like that. So people would go and get these clutches of uh, eggs and all that stuff. And they would be giving like a financial reward for doing so and killing off as many as possible. And I'm sure they probably started using pesticides, all that kind of stuff, et cetera, et cetera. To now, this day, it was only a few years until they were completely extinct. But it stands the reason that perhaps these locusts were also preventing forest fires from occurring because they were eating a lot of the, you know, brush that would be used as kindling or whatever to help spark these uh, forest fires. So they're eating a lot of the dry material. So it stands the reason, if you look at the extinction of species like the Rocky Mountain locusts, and a lot of the charismatic grazing uh, megafauna from uh, the Pleistocene era, like not even like Pleistocene era stuff. Like we, you could like even just like reindeer, elk that used to be in certain areas, but isn't anymore. They're extirpated in those areas. Just bringing those back, laying off the hunting for a bit, and just letting them do their thing. We may see a decline in forest fires and therefore CO2 emissions into the atmosphere, which will help with like, you know, carbon capture, all that stuff. There could be a huge benefit to that. So if we're talking about rewilding, maybe bringing the camels back, the American camel back or something akin to that isn't such a bad idea. Um, I'm not sure about bringing back Rocky Mountain locusts or not, because I mean, that is quite an imposing forest and they eat quite a lot of vegetation, so that's beyond my uh, my uh, wheelhouse of knowledge, and I I wouldn't know whether to make that decision or not. Alright, I think that's enough about camels and rewilding, but it's certainly interesting, and I, 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 I implore you to go down the rabbit hole of rewilding, and sort of like the ideas of bringing back extinct species it's pretty interesting stuff it's the it's a stuff of sort of like science fiction and like fairy tales but it's very soon becoming reality and i think that's what makes it so interesting at least for me uh yeah so the next topic i want to bring up is Meth- methuselah some of you may have seen this in recent news articles but if you haven't i'm glad to you know drop this little bit of knowledge on you Methuselah is a 4 foot long, 40 pound Australian lungfish, and it is 90 years old. It was brought to the California Academy of Sciences in 1938. This lungfish has been around since World War II. He is also a threatened species, and he can no longer be exported from Australia to uh, the United States. So if you ever get the chance to go see this in the You know this is—I guess it's like an aquarium. It'd be quite the sight to see. It's a—it's a piece of history. He's a living piece of history. Um, The reason lungfish are so cool and they're so interesting, and I felt like breaking this up on the podcast. It's like everything in Australia. It's very—you know—unique and neat. You know whether it's the Tasmanian tiger, Tasmanian devil, whether it's koalas, wombats. You know, they got all kinds of crazy things down there. Platypus, like, we, and we they're just so, like, unique kangaroos. They're just so unique, and, you know, we don't really have anything quite like Australian fauna anywhere else in the world. So this lungfish is no different. It's a very primitive species. It has lungs and gills. It's thought to be the evolutionary link between fish and amphibians. It's pretty awesome uh, in a sense of, like, if you're interested in like biology and evolution, uh, that's why I felt like bringing it up. <clears throat> it's it's amazing that it's so long lived. It's apparently got like a ton of character to it. It doesn't like e- eating fr- figs that have been frozen. It only wants like fresh ones. It enjoys like belly rubs. It, it's crazy. I don't know. I think this is kind of crazy. I don't have a lot to say about it, so I'm not going to stay on this topic too long. But listen, if you're a resident of California, you can go to the Academy of Sciences. I think that's where it's being kept. Go check it out. Take a picture of it. Take a selfie with it. Like, he's not going to live that much longer. Maybe he'll live to like 110. I don't know. But uh, you're also not going to see that many lungfish in, uh, you know, the States anymore. The last thing I want to talk about, though, moving on, is um, the uh, there has been a sea dragon fossil discovery in the UK and sea dragon sounds really awesome and cool. But uh, what it's actually called is a uh, it's a ichthyosaur, ichthyosaur, ichthyosaur. It's ichthyosaur, and it's basically exactly like the you know the fun name says is a sea dragon. It resembled a shark or a dolphin, and it's the largest and most complete fossil ever found within that region. So, like the UK. It lived 180 million years ago. It was the ultimate apex predator. I don't think anything hunted it. It's massive. Um, The fossil is 32 feet in length. Its skull is 6 feet and weighs about uh, a ton. Uh, It was a marine reptile. Like I said earlier, it resembled dolphins and sharks. So it's kind of crazy to think like, I think the best example of that is If you can remember Jurassic World, the giant like water dinosaur that came out and ate the the shark that had hanging, I'm pretty sure it's something similar to that. Um, It's it's a sea dragon. Could you imagine like back in the day, like medieval humans coming across this and finding the skeleton, they would definitely think like it's a dragon. It's something crazy like that, or not skeleton fossil, fossil of a skeleton. Um, it's a cool discovery I mean I don't know thought I'd mention it don't got a lot of th- really th- say about it um, yeah I guess I'll end it off on some boring topic like that don't really know what else to say about it it's a giant it's big it's the most complete that's it anyway this was a short podcast but I hope it uh it was short and sweet hope it was like compact really good uh, hope you got lots of knowledge from it hope you found it interesting uh, hope in the future to get better guests on the podcast share a lot of information and you know expand our minds um, you can follow me on instagram at Epion explores I uh, highly recommend checking out the you know, episodes uh, seventeen and eighteen of uh, the podcast. Very uh, inquisitive guests. Very interesting, knowledgeable. Little bits of tidbits of information that you might not have been too savvy about. So it's always good to, you know, learn new things. If you're going to be consuming content and entertainment, it might as well teach you something. Um. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoy the content I'm putting out, and you want to hear more of it please support me by you know following commenting rating liking on whatever platform you're on different platforms have different means of sort of supporting whether it's rating liking commenting etc cetera, etc cetera. uh yeah so until next time cheers guys thanks for tuning in